it is good to be back. It is um, exciting that we're moving now in this interpretive journey on how to interpret scripture. Um, I listened to Eric's uh, lecture, it was really good uh, last week. Very clear, um, the, the elements that we should be looking for in sentences. What exactly uh, are the things, can, can you recall some of the things that you've learned last week? What were some of the elements that you're looking for in sentences? Hmm? Repetition. Um, many times um, when I, I'm preparing to preach from First Samuel, and it's a narrative. It's hard because you're, you're leaving the different cities as events are happening, um, and you want to find a theme. Why did the author chose to use these certain words? You know, so... For instance, the, I'm trying to remember here was chapter 18 that was the Hesed one, um, loyal, loving commitment. And that word kept appearing throughout. The Lord showed you this faithfulness. Um, Jonathan made a, a covenant to be faithful, to be loyal to David. And so, and then the word kept reappearing. Um, in our last message in, uh, in 1 Samuel, uh, Nabal, as we're reading the story of Nabal and Abigail, the word uh, restraining kept repeating itself. The Lord restrained you. Uh, you uh, were an instrument of God to restrain me, David talking to Abigail. So that really gives a, clues us in in some of... Um, what is the passage about? So, any any other recollection? Tim? The verb tense. It's very important, especially in the New Testament letters. We think about, you know, when Paul uses the, the present continuous. Well, this is something that we should constantly be pursuing. Our sanctification, our growth. Um, so... Yeah, that good, good one. Any others? Conjunctions. Conjunctions, which are, and, but, therefore, the, the things that connect the sentences. And that is going to be important for our lesson today. The, the conjunctions will point us to some of purposes. Well, what is the purpose of this? You know, some sentences where it says, um, we have been saved so that, you might live in a way that is glorifying to God, whatever. Um, so, good. Conjunctions, repetitions. Um, what was Tim? Verb tense. Verb tense. Uh, what else? The voice. Uh, yeah. See, it was, it was it passive? Was it active? Is this, um, and especially in the letters, um, when he says, you have been saved. That means that we didn't save ourselves. <laughs> he saved us. You've been baptized. We don't baptize ourselves. It's a, it's a passive um, command, really. You, you need to be baptized, not to be baptized. So um, what else? The conjunctions, tense of the verbs, repetitions, um, 
comparing and contrasting. Um, you will see some of that in the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs a lot, right? The wicked and the righteous, the diligent worker and the lazy person. <laughs> so that contrast is, is to make a point, to, to draw attention. You want to be wise. You don't want to be like a fool. And so um, they, we use a lot of uh, conjunctions of uh, but, you know, the wicked is like this, but the righteous acts in this way. So, good. I think this was a good review. You guys have it fresh in your memories. And um, I'm just going to give you a heads up. Um, after our class today, I'm going to give you a take-home quiz. All right? <laughs> Um, it is not that hard, it's just multiple choice or true and false. Um, you can do it at your own time. Uh, there's no time limit for you to do it. Um, you can consult your Bible, but uh, other than that, you can't peek the answers in the book, okay? <laughs> but they're, they're simple. Um, and you can bring, there's a place there to put your name, the date that you did the exam, and it's just a one page front and back. So, all right, let's get started with the word of prayer, shall we? Our gracious Father, we're so thankful for your great faithfulness toward us, Lord, and for the clarity of your words um, and how you communicated through us through a grammatical structure, through um, human words that make sense to us. But I pray that as we dive in deeper, uh, in trying to understand the scriptures, that you would open our understanding. And um, even in these different passages, that we won't be uh, doing just a mere academic exercise, but uh, desire to know your word more. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is on chapter four from your, your book, The Journey interpretive journey book there, um, and it is chapter four, if I'm not mistaken. So if you want to follow up, I'm going to use some of the, the examples that he gives on the book, um, but I also am going to bring some extra ones. All right. So the last chapter, or the lesson that Eric taught, uh, focused on the sentence level. So what, are, what is the verb, what is the subject, what are the different things in one sentence? Today, we're going to cover the, part, the connection between those two sentences, or three or four. Um, if, you, if you read the Pauline epistles, you have these huge paragraphs uh, with commas and um, columns. It just it, it takes forever for him to, to finish a thought. So um, a, a paragraph will be really the focus of our um, lesson today. And then next week, it's kind of the second half of chapter. Um, so the first eight ones, this is what we're going to cover today on the paragraphs. And then um, next week will be on bigger sections than a paragraph. Um, and that one is... I think points nine and ten from your your chapters. So, and then I have I'll, I'll bring some extra things. I have one extra point um, other than the book. And so, um, all right. So this is the art of observation. This is how we are learning to see things, to see details, 
And it, it's not a skill that comes naturally. But if you, you know, have the, the habit of copying the verses that you're doing your devotions on, um, it is really helpful when it's just there. Uh, and maybe you can just mark in your Bible and write those observations there, but normally it doesn't have enough space. So what I'm going to do today, um, we'll, we're going to go through uh, Colossians 3 to 6, um, 3 to 6, so it's kind of what we're going to see in our fellowship group. So you guys are going to get some first dibs of just diving into that text. All right. The very first one there in chapter 1 is general to and is specific. Sometimes an author, uh, the, the, our author here says, will introduce an idea with a general statement that is an overview or a summary of the, the main idea. The author will then follow the general statement with specifics of that idea. And then he gives the example, you know, um, someone asks you, do you eat dessert? Yeah, I like dessert. But then, um, it, okay, well, what kind of dessert do you like? Do you like cheesecake? Do you like um, pound cake? Do you like ice cream or um, apple crisp? Whatever it is, you know, it, you, it, there's the specifics. Um, and so you can start. I, I like dessert. Uh, my favorite ones are this, this, and this. And you list those things. So... Um, Romans 12 is an example of that. But let's turn there. Romans 12 is a general to a specific passage. I don't think this one is listed there for you in the book. Um, but he, we read here in verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So he is talking about here the true way of worshiping God. This is how you worship God. And then he's going to give specifics on what that does look like. Uh, the specific starts a few verses later, um, uh, specifically on verse 9 here. Uh, obviously, there's already some elements of that in verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But then how, how is that different from the world's behavior? Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another and with brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing, practicing hospitality. So it's a, it's a big list of actions for us to put into practice if we're trying to um, offer to God a living sacrifice that is different from the, wor the way that the world acts, different from the way that the world um, do thing, does things. They, they are hypocrites <laughs> in the world. There's, um, they're not devoted to one another with brotherly love. Um, they are not diligent, not fervent in spirit, and they're not serving the Lord. They're serving self. So um, you, you see the general from the specific. Now, there will be 
um, different ways also that an author sometimes can start with a list of things and then conclude that with a summary statement. So this happens in 1 Corinthians 13. Let's go there. Uh, it's a well-known passage, the chapter on love. Um, so verses 1 through 12 presents the specifics. He starts, um, if I speak... Uh, with tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong and or clinging symbol. So he's introduce, introducing the topic of love. He's speaking in the interest of the people there. You know, if I had all these things, but I don't have love, I have nothing. So this is a very important thing that I'm going to talk about here. Then, verse 4, he starts with the list, the description of what love is. So love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, or is arrogant, it does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, it is not provoked, does not take into account wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, and then bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Um, then um, let's skip down all the way to, to verse 13. He, he then concludes, he, But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. So um, it, it, still kind of repeating the same thing. Love is important. Now this is the specifics, what love looks like, and you should be pursuing it. Um, all right, another thing that you want to be looking for when you're reading paragraphs, when you're reading maybe two, three, or even eight verses at a time, um, you, will, you will notice that in, in your Bible, um, even there in 1 Corinthians, you'll see that um, our translators, they, they made blocks there of paragraphs. So verses one through three is one section. Verses four through... Seven is another section, at least on mine here, and I have the NSB. Um, or 8 through 13 is another section. So there are several sentences, but they're together on that unity. And it's very helpful when we are even doing our devotions because we, we know, okay, this is an indication that this is a unity. There is a thought here that I can follow. Um, in narratives, those paragraphs will be longer because they're, they either change with the change in scenario, they change with the speaker. Um, we had long dialogue between Abigail and David um, that two weeks ago, so you, you remember that. Now, a second one, um, it is questions and answers. Questions and answers. I think we're, we're very familiar in scripture, and sometimes it, it, it can be confusing when you're reading, because it's like, well, wait a minute, is it talking to himself? Is it talking to God? Or is he talking to, who, who is he talking to here? Um, when there are questions being um, asked. For instance, Romans 6, 1, uh, Paul uses the questions a lot. Sometimes in a rhetorical sense, he really is not looking for an answer. Um, but it's just the obvious. Uh, it's trying to state the obvious. So Romans 6, 1 is an example of that. 
where Paul goes on to say, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And then he answered his own question in verse 2. By no means. Where those who have died for sin, how can we live it in it no longer, any longer? So, and then he has another question there. He's like, well, by no means, this is not going to happen. Will it? Um, it? It's a rhetorical question. It should not happen. He just answered it, and now he's just reaffirming that in a question form. He uses this type of a question and answer format in numerous other places in Romans as well. This technique is not limited to Paul's letters. Mark uses the question answer format in several places <clears throat> as the backdrop of the story of Jesus. For example, let's turn to Mark, and I'll go rather quickly through these. Uh, Mark chapter 1, and, uh, looking specifically at verses 1 through chapter um, three, verse six. So just a little quick overview there. Um, he has some questions. There are five episodes, five situations happening here in these two chapters. Um, there's a paralytic man being healed, and then on verse seven, there's a question who can forgive sins but God alone? And then on verse 16, the, ta- he, he, the people asked, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 18, how is it that John's disciple and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Verse 24, another question there is, why are they doing what is unlawful in the Sabbath? And then chapter 3, verse 4, which is lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? This, the first four questions that, we, that was raised here by um, Mark, by the opponent, it was really by the opponents of Jesus the Pharisees and the others that were challenging the religious behavior of Jesus and his disciples. In the the verses that follow each question, Jesus answers the inquiry with a clear justification of his actions. He says uh, here, But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He answered the first question. Can he forgive sins? Yes, he's the son of man, he's the son of God, and he has authority to do that. Um, verse, chapter 2, verse 10, he answers the second question. I have not come to call the righteous, but to call sinners. That's why he's eating with them. How can the guests of the, uh, the bridegroom fast while he is with them? He kind of answers with another question, right? Why is that they don't fast? Well, would the obvious is would um, the bridegroom fast while he's he's there celebrating with them? Of course not. Um, verse two, chapter two, verse nineteen. Have you never read what David did? The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus give an example how David um, has uh, broken some of these commands to. Uh, to obey God. And so, you know, Jesus' point is, 
the Sabbath was not made um, for for it, the, its own thing, for the Sabbath's sake. It was made for you, for your rest, for your advantage, um, not to be a burden. And then the fifth question, however, is asked by Jesus and is directed at the Pharisees. The answer to his question is obvious. For the lawful thing is to do good, as Jesus does by healing the man with the shriveled, shriveled, uh, shriveled hand. And uh, do not, not to do evil nor to kill as the Pharisees are plotting to do with him. In verse uh, describing verse 6 here of chapter 3. However, even though Jesus has answered their questions, they fail to answer his question. Um, note that Mark balances the five-question episode that occurs early in his book with five other questions episode at the end of the book. Verse chapter 11, verse 27 to chapter 12 to 40 um, he also has the same structure of questions and answers, questions and answers. Um, this is not just in the New Testament. We have it in the Old Testament as well. So let's turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah chapter 40. This is um, it's one of my favorite texts on God speaking to the people of Israel. Um, and we're looking at verse 27 here. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of God? Um, do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. Um, God is a master minding in probing our hearts or just bringing conviction. So whenever you see questions, sometimes a rhetorical question, it's to make us think about it. Yeah, I was looking for my coffee there. <laughs> Thank you. Oops. I hope I didn't break the new microphone. <laughs> um, so because he's trying to, to, to make them think about it. You know, you, you keep saying, Israel, uh, that my way is hidden from the Lord. Why are you doing that? Why do you say such a thing? What is compelling you to, to think God doesn't care about me? What, what is behind it all? He said, are you ignorant that God is a God that cares? A God that is, yes, he's the creator. He is eternal. And yet, he does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inescrutable. He does care. And he does get involved, and he doesn't get tired of getting involved. He gives his strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous men stub, stumble bald, uh, badly, 
Yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They'll walk and not become weary. So Isaiah has a lot of these. Um, Chapter 1, he he asks, um, it's like talking to creation. Um, He he asks a question there. Um, Let me see. Uh, he's, he's reasoning with them. Um, it, or maybe it's in Jeremiah, where he says, um, Be appalled, O heavens. Have it ever happened that people would leave their God and worship false gods? And it's a rhetorical question. The answer is, this is not common. Because even the unbelievers, they're faithful to their own divinities. But you are not. So questions normally is to bring about conviction. Jesus had done that with his disciples, had done that with different people. Then connected to this questions and answers is our third point there on dialogues. Of course, um, it overlaps with the question and answer. Um, the four questions in Mark 2.15 through 3 to 6 are part of an ongoing dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees. And dialogue may seem at first glance to be the obvious to worry about. Clearly, in a narrative material, dialogue is employed frequently and is easy to spot. But you do not simply read past the point of the dialogue. Note the fact that a dialogue is taking place. Then ask questions of the dialogue. Who are the participants? Who is speaking to who? What is the setting? Are there other people around? Are they listening? Are they participating in the dialogue? Is the dialogue an argument, a discussion, a lecture, a friendly chit chat? What is the point of the dialogue? You may find it helpful uh, even to color code when you're copying the passage there and there is a dialogue. Okay, this, this was David, this was Abigail, this was, um, and it, it, it might seem simple, but the biblical authors, many times, they make a point that I want to use their words. I want to use their words so you know what really happened. Sometimes it doesn't. We don't know um, certain conversations, how they went about, um, but they, have, they took place. And the, narr- the narrator just said, you know, um, they talked the matter and resolved it, whatever it was. It, it gives a summary. He doesn't necessarily brings that dialogue. So when you do find a dialogue, you think this is important. So important, I uh, think about the Gospel of Mark. There is just some, boy, I mean, you think about the memory that Peter had of, of those questions that he asked specifically to him. And he talked to him, Peter, um, you will deny me three times. You're saying that you're not, so that back and forth, why is that it was so memorable? Well, Mark was written under the supervision of the Apostle Peter. So that's why he has so many details regarding Peter in that gospel. So 
Um, the stories of the Bible contain a multitude of wonderful dialogues. Recall Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. Um, beautiful dialogue where Jesus is just probing her and trying to encourage her and, and point her to the way of salvation. There are some discussions in the Bible that are quite memorable. Uh, one of them is in Numbers 22. You're probably familiar with Balin and the donkey. I mean, a donkey doesn't talk. <laughs> God intervened and acted in a supernatural way so that donkey would be talking. Human uh, speech, human words. Um, so there's an importance in that. And sometimes some dialogues are not as evident. As I said, as I started saying, some, sometimes reading the prophets is kind of hard because we, we don't know, is it praying to God? Is it talking to someone? Is it exhorting the people? Is it God speaking or is it uh, the prophet speaking? So let me give you an example of that is Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk has a tendency to disappear from my Bible. <laughs> Found it. So chapter 1, verse uh, 1 through 4. So the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. So he's giving a summary statement. Now he's going to relate different things. Chap verse 2. How long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? Well, you know he's talking to the Lord, and Habakkuk is the one speaking here because he's saying, Oh, Lord. Um, he says, I cry out to you violence, and yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore, the law is ignored, and justice is never upheld. By the weak, but for the wicked surround the righteous, therefore justice comes out perverted. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, and wonder. Because I am doing something in your days, you will not believe if you were told. Did you notice the shift there on verse um, 5? Um, wait a minute. Is Habakkuk, because he was speaking here in verse 4, is Habakkuk going to do something in his days that God is not going to believe if it was told him? No. So there was a shift there. It necessarily, it, it, sometimes it will say, thus says the Lord of God, thus says the Lord, but sometimes it is implied there. And this is clearly the Lord speaking. I am going to do something here. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans. Uh, verse 6, the fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. Then later on, um, in verse 13, well, verse 12, Habakkuk comes into the scene. He says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, and my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look at wickedness with favor. And then he's saying, the point of Habakkuk here is, God, I am praying to you so that you would take a look at the iniquity and the violence that is happening amongst your people. And then God answers, I'm going to send a judgment to them. I'm going to raise up the Chaldeans, and they are fierce, and they are mean, and they are awful. 
And so Habakkuk is just bewildered by the whole thing. God, why, why are you going to send a people that is more wicked than, than your people to, to correct us? But I trust you. But I trust you. Um, sometimes you will see in the Psalms, the psalmists are talking to themselves. Uh, why are you cast down, O oh, my soul? <laughs> what is he doing there? He is trying to search his own heart and see where are their circumstances there bringing me to this, and he, he can't figure it out. He can't point his finger. And then he says, trust in God, for I will still believe him. Just worship God and trust him. So he's talking to himself. Even though I might not have the answers for my anguish, for my depression, really, that's what um, the, the sons of Korah are going through there. Um, he says, but you're trusting God. He's talking to himself. All right? So dialogues. Um, now, point number four here, purpose or the result statements. Always identify the purpose or uh, result statements, um, especially in the letters. Paul will use that so much. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Does anyone has it memorized? Ephesians 2.10, or we are, but it is, I just love this verse, you know, he's, he's saying something, what, what is the, the cause here, we're his workmanship, he created us, for what purpose? For good works. I, I think when I first grasped the meaning of this verse, it, it's just, totally changed my mind, my, my, the way that I live my life. God did not just save me to spare me from condemnation and to take me to heaven. He saved me so that I might use this life that he now gave me to serve him and to do what is, um, you know, all, the, all these good works that he prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. Why did prepare them beforehand? So that we can walk in them. All right? So the cause and effect here, or the purpose of, of that. Um, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that was the purpose that he gave his only son. Uh, for whoever believes in him will not perish, um, but have eternal life. So, um, so there are many others, and you, you can read some of those examples in the book there. Um, another thing is noticing the means, uh, the means by which something is accomplished. So that's point five here. When an action or a result or a purpose is stated, look for the means that brings about that action, results, or purpose. How is the action or result brought into reality? How is the purpose accomplished? Romans 8.13 states, But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The means by which the misdeeds of the body are put to death is the Spirit. By, if by the Spirit. So that is the means. So normally when you see the word, uh, the little um, preposition there, by or through, will, will indicate, okay, through these things or by these things, I'm going to be sanctified. 
Um, all right, then conditional clauses. You will have some of uh, these prepositions. Um, the conditional aspect will usually be introduced by a condi uh, conditional conjunction, if. The resultant action or consequence will occasionally be introduced by then, but often the resultant action and consequence has no specific introductory word. Sometimes it just says, then this happens, um, even though there's no if in the, in the condition. So let's look at some examples here. 1 John 1.6, 1 John 1.6. says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. What is the condition? Hmm? Hmm? If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, what is the consequence? Or, or the result. We're lying, we're not living the truth if you're just claiming it. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. What is the condition? If anyone is in Christ. So you need to be in Christ. It's a requirement. If you want to be this new person, if you want to be transformed, this is just so key. Um, many times when I'm counseling, I, I, I have people to search their own hearts. Because if you're not in Christ, you won't be able to change. You won't be able to be this new man with the old things left behind you and the new things to come. So the condition and result here um, Deuteronomy 28, especially in the, the, the Old Testament law, you will see that a lot with the people of Israel. If you are faithful, I'm going to bless you. If you are unfaithful, I'm going to curse you. There's conditions and there are consequences, there are results for their actions. All right, um, then actions or roles of people or actions or roles of God is important for us to, to see, like even as we studied, looked at um, Habakkuk there, um, who is talking? Is, is it God or is it us? Um, is this a, a, a me thing to do or is it a God thing to do? Let me give you an example. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. Ooh, I hope I'm not giving you the uh, answer for your assignment. Um, Philippians 2, um, and we're looking at verse 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not only as in my presence only, not not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works at, uh, he's at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. All right, just a few things that we already noticed in this paragraph here. What, whose whole role is 
um, what, what is our role? Hmm? Obedience. Obedience, not just uh, uh, when we were being supervised, right? Not only when they were in his presence. Um, what else? What is, there is an imperative there, a command. Work out your salvation, fear and trembling. You, you need to be sanctified. And that is your responsibility. Isn't that interesting? The Lord is saying that. But then, what is God's role? Hmm? What is God's role? He is working in us, both to will and to work. Now, you may object and say, you know, I don't have the strength to do it. Well, yes, you do. The Lord gives you that will and that desire to obey him. And he also gives you the ability to work it out. He will give you the means. He will give you the tools. You just have to use them. But there is a holy sweat in our sanctification, right? But it is so neat to see this. What is God's role? What is my role? And, and um you know, I really appreciate this point here that they brought out. Um, then there's two more here, um, and I do want to give take some time so as to um, get in the board. Uh, the use of emotional terms. The use of emotional terms. Um, just read the Psalms, and you will see. I mean, there. I am afflicted. I am anguished. I am overjoyed. I'm so thankful. There's pleasures forevermore in your presence. I was embittered of heart. All the emotional language that the biblical authors are bringing, or you even read in Genesis, the Lord grieved that he made mankind because he looked at the devastation and the violence that was you just see the heart of God there. Um, so the use of emotional terms cue us in even to the tone, which is our next point here, that the author intended. Um, this is frequently overlooked in biblical interpretation. As part of your careful reading, when you observe the text, be sure to underscore words, phrases that have emotional overtones. That is, words that convey feeling and emotion. Also, be sure to note words such as father or mother or child or daughter or son and the like. Paul talks about him um, being like a mother toward um, the, was the Philippians or the Thessalonians? The Colossians. <laughs> Neither. All right. Um, but, but why is that? He's showing the proximity. You know, I am this close to you like a mother herself. Then Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. Let's take a look at this one. Galatians 4, verses 12 and through 16. So look at the emotional thing here. I beg of you, brethren. So brethren is already an indication here. You were you're close to me. We're children of the same God. We serve the same God. But I beg you, 
Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And you have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. Now, um, there is a difference here. Paul is not saying, you know, I'm, I'm asking you to do this. Um, I, I'm just asking you to do this. He's saying that he's begging. Begging is different than just asking, making a request. He's pleading with them. Please, please, please pay attention to this. It's an emotional term. Verse 14, and that which um, was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. You did not treat me with contempt, even though I was sick. You were careful toward me. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For you bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes to give them to me. So I have, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul is, Paul is just confused. I mean, if you, you were so loving toward me when I first came to you, when I was sick, and here you're just totally disregarding my words. What happened to you? Please, please, he's begging with them. Become an imitator of me. Look at the behavior that you watch, that you observe, and then you follow it. So it, it carries an emotional um, sense in that conversation. Um, the Old Testament uses emotional terminology even more frequently than the New Testament. God himself will open up and pour out his broken heart on account of his spiteful, rebellious people. Jeremiah 9, uh, chapter 3, verse 19 and 20 says, I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought that you would have called me a father and not turn away from following me, but like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. Um, God, many times we use those analogies to, to bring out a point. You know, I, I hoped and I treated you like children. I give you the very best. I was generous toward you as my children. And yet you turned your back on me and you did not even call me father. And then he says, and like a woman that betrays her husband, you have betrayed me. I mean, it does make a point, doesn't it? It is one thing to say, God, Israel, you were unfaithful in your worship. It is another thing to say, you were unfaithful like a woman that committed adultery. It, it is such a um, more heavy explanation. Um, there is a passage in it flees my mind right now. But um, think about uh, the text where he says, even if a mother forgets their daughter, yet I will not forget you. I mean, think about the most unlikely thing to happen is a, a mother forget her little baby that is a nursing baby. Um, yet I will not forget you. Isaiah 49, 15. 
Thank you. Um, so it is all those things, guys, that we need to be looking at and, and um, looking for as we read Scripture. Um, we, we just read Galatians 3, 1 through 4. Now, Paul, when he, um, he starts uh, the, the letter to the Galatians, is that the 3, 1 to 4 that we read? Let me see. Um, no, we didn't read that one. But he says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I mean, that is harsh, isn't it? The tone of, of this is not, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? No, it is, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That is the tone of that passage. Um, there, we're going to get at some point in a narrative here, um, not today, but in 1 Samuel, where David and, and his soldiers are there um, in a cave, and Saul is sleeping. And it says that he, he was talking, this is the day that the Lord handed over to me. Just kill him. I'll do it. Just once. One shot. He's I mean, he did not speak loudly. <laughs> they were sleeping, not try to. So you, you ought to be thinking about these things as you read them. But just try to picture it. And it, it helps you even to get a better grasp of what is going on in a narrative. All right? So um, I got here five minutes. And um, I want to take a look. And maybe you can even pick at your... Um, book there, I don't know what page it is, but they, they did copy Colossians chapter 3 verses, uh, Ch Colossians chapter 1 verse 3 through 8. So, we give thanks to God the Father, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord, oops, changed the color here, of our Lord Jesus, um, praying for you, um, praying always for you, in a sense, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. All right, just then and there, I'm going to use these. Um, all right, so who are we here in the sentence? You talked about, right, the pronouns, conjunctions, all those things. So who is this, the we there? Paul and Timothy. Um, this is one question that you need to be asking when, when you're reading, particularly the, the Pauline letters, because sometimes... He will say, we, and it's not necessarily him that is writing. He's including even the people that he's writing to. We all partake of Christ, right? So who is this referring to, this we is referring to? Well, we give thanks to God the Father. Um, what is he doing here? What is this element? 
He is describing God. God, whom we call Father. And he's describing more. He is the Father of who? Of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Um, Then why does Paul praise for the Colossians? Why does he give thanks? So this is, this is the action, right? He, he does this. Um, I would say the result, you give thanks to God. And what is the, um, the motivation for that? Hmm? All right, guys, come on. <laughs> huh? Yeah. So since he heard their faith in Christ Jesus. So this was the motive, what brought him to give thanks to God. Because I heard that you believe him and your faith is real, I give thanks to God for that. So this is the cause for that prayer that Paul is directing here. Um, I'm not going to have time to copy all of this, but um, just continue here. Jesus the um, Christ season of the love you have for all the people of God. So that's another reason. Because you not only have saving faith, but you also have love for one another. So cause and effect there. Um, he heard of two things, of the faith that they had in Christ and the love that they have for one another. Um, then he says, um, the, that a spring from hope is stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. What was that that they heard? The true message of the gospel. And then because they heard that message and they believed it, Paul heard, connects back, you see, see the repetition of words? I heard of you because you heard of the Lord. You can't, we, I wouldn't hear a testimony if you didn't have that faith springing out of the gospel of Christ. So try to tie up this, these words here. Um, what is the gospel? Gospel that has come to you in the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. So a consequence, that gospel that has come to them, now it is going forth to others. All right, I will, I'll let you look um, and examine a little bit more. Um, in the back of your um, chapter there, so there's an assignment for you. Um, and if you guys have the book there, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the very last one, the, dis the discussion one, is Philippians chapter... Um, I know. Look at your book there. Um, but basically, I want you to do this, to copy the verse and then to parse it, um, you know, the different connections between them, the elements that we talked about. All right. You'll be looking for those um, in, the, in that paragraph. All right. Let's close with a word of prayer. And um, if you have any questions, please feel free to come and ask. I will pass on the, the quizzes here for you to take home. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your gracious um, love for us. 
that did not leave us without instruction and without um, your words. Lord, we're thankful that we can make sense of them, we can understand them and apply to our lives. I pray, Lord, that even in this beginning process, we will become more attentive as we're reading, that we will see the tone and the emotional language that you use and the different contrast and the dialogues that happen. And Lord, may we be encouraged by these things. May we find joy in understanding them. Even as Peter said, that we may eagerly want the milk of God's word. Oh Lord, just increase our desire to understand you more and to understand your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen.